Hi folks, this is Dick Flax, your occasional host here on Inside Ala Vista. And today we have the special privilege and honor of having as our guest, Greg Hart, who's the second district supervisor here in, um, in Santa Barbara, representing now Isla Vista and the university now in the second district. Greg, as you probably know, is running for the state assembly. So his position in relation to Isla Vista may change over time, but your historic position is clear enough, right? I mean, you were a student here at UCSB at some point in your life. When you when you were that young, you still look the same, Greg. <laughs> Actually, I look really different, Dick. That's nice of you really? to say. I had long hair down to my shoulders and a full beard, and now I have a little bit more streamlined look. But my heart uh, remains in Isla Vista, and so we. I did go to um, UCSB and lived in Isla Vista when I was a student, and have been very impressed by all the new government options that exist in Isla Vista with the Community Services District and all the energy that's happening with the Parks and Recreation District. So there's all kinds of good things happening in Isla Vista. Yes, it's taken decades, but, you know, things have come together in many ways. And I'm, my own granddaughter is about to enter UCSB, and I'm very excited about it because I think it's a good school now. It's taken a long time. But... I um, I would but, never get in now with the grades that oh, I have. No. Then. So I'm glad that uh, the university has really raised its uh, academic standing because it makes my degree that much more valuable. That's right. And it's going to carry you to a great future, I'm sure. So anyway, the reason I uh, wanted to have you uh, as a chance to talk to you is because of the announcement um, that the county board or the county is su suing UCSB in the same way that the city of Goleta uh, has instituted a suit with respect to uh, the housing problems uh, in and around the university. Um, and as you know, not only am I interested in that because of Inside Isla Vista, this radio show, but I, I had a long time activist involvement in work trying to work with UCSB to fulfill its the need for it to mitigate its growth by providing uh, housing opportunities for students and for uh, faculty and staff. Many promises made, many plans laid over a 10-year period, and yet very, uh, very dismal record in terms of achievement. Um, in the, uh, and now the enrollment exceeding the planned enrollment uh, increases. Um, it, uh, we're about to have a new new academic year beginning. I don't know how many students will end up being here, but it's larger than what had originally been planned at this point in time. Uh, maybe just to, to round that point out, the plans adopted in the LRDP back in the 10 years ago was for a 25,000 student body by 2025, but we're well into that. We've had that number for several years now, but the housing commensurate with that growth uh, hasn't uh, at all been provided, neither the student housing nor uh, much promised faculty and staff housing as well. And that puts great pressure on the wider community's housing market, which is already in such crisis. Maybe I've said a lot of what you would already say, but um, what's, so what's the history of the county's relationship uh, to this question? 
Well, you framed it really well. And I would even go back further in time prior to the adoption of the university's long range development plan in 2010. The problem has been um, with us for decades. You know, the university has grown over time tremendously without ever having enough housing on campus to house the students. And that has been very difficult. You know, Isla Vista was essentially created to make up for that deficit that the university had created um, by having enrollment that didn't have adequate housing for students. And the community in the whole South Coast has been dealing with the impacts of enrollment at the university and its impact on the greater housing market you know, since the beginning. And that was what was so exciting about the, the long range development plan in 2010 was that for the first time, the university was going to mitigate fully the impacts of an increase in enrollment. They proposed to add 5,000 students and faculty and staff to, um, to serve those students and to fully mitigate that impact by providing housing to accommodate that increased enrollment. And the, I think the community was overjoyed at that time that we finally had an agreement that would solve this problem and create a structure going forward that had great promise and opportunity. And to now be here um, 12 years later without that commitment being met feels particularly painful. Um, I think we trusted that the university would be true to its word and you know, we gave time for the two um, processes to align. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the university chose to increase the student enrollment very quickly and has not ever met that obligation to provide the housing for the students, the faculty, and the staff. And so the impact on renters in all you know, from Carpinteria all the way out to Winchester Canyon is very, very significant when you add <clears throat> that many people into what has always historically been one of the tightest housing markets, you know, in the country, you're going to have pressure and you're going to have a very, very low vacancy rate, which leads to higher rents and um, a lot of difficulty for members of the community to get to, to live in our community because um, it makes it very unaffordable. And it could have so easily have been resolved. And that's that I think is what's so frustrating about this situation because the long range development plan specified the sites where the housing was gonna be constructed. Those sites were cleared environmentally. There was nothing in the way to constructing the housing. The university did all of the approvals that it needed to have, you know, from the regents, from the California Coastal Commission, all the local governments were supportive. You know, all, we're all holding hands, believing that we were gonna go forward and have this increase in enrollment and then have that be mitigated fully by the construction of the required housing. But to be here now, 12 years later, and to realize that over the term of this agreement, you know, which is 15 years, that we the university will not meet that obligation. Um, it was extremely disappointing and frustrating, and that I, that realization that despite you know patience and working collaboratively and a lot of conversations and a lot of you know dialogue that it was not going to bear fruit um, by 2025 uh, led us to the conclusion that we needed to file suit against the university to compel them to meet their obligation. So. 
what would be the what are the terms of the suit? In other words, what are, what are you really asking the university to do in order to settle the suit? It's very simple. We want the housing that was promised uh, 12 years ago, and we want it as soon as possible. And what's been frustrating in the last eight months since I um, assumed the role of supervisor that represents the Isla Vista University community, uh, the districts were changed back in um, January to change the, the composition of second districts. Now, um, this district, my, the one that I represent, includes the university and um, Isla Vista. So I took over the role that Supervisor Hartman had previously had in negotiating um, these issues with the university. And I have been meeting with Chancellor Yang and trying to talk through these um, issues and, and make some progress. And while the university, you know, is apparently making progress on the Munger dorm, you know, that isn't public and it isn't transparent. And we have consistently been asking the university for a timetable that they could commit to that would demonstrate to the public and to the county satisfaction that there were um, demonstrable milestones that we could count on for the construction of this housing. And we have still not received that. And that. That was the last straw. I'm, you know, I'm hopeful now with the lawsuit, you know, that that might be a product that came from it. But most importantly, what we need is the housing constructed. We need relief in the rental market with the addition of that supply so that um, the impacts of having this additional staff and faculty and students in our community is mitigated fully. That was the university's promise, and we expect them to fulfill that promise. So what is their response? So you've been you've had these meetings, maybe county staff as well, over a long period of time, and yet, so what is their statement? What do they say when you're asking for this timetable? Well, they have said that they are trying to proceed with the construction of the Munger dorm, but they have not, as far as I know, um, come to a conclusion internally as to what that project is going to be. Um, there was a process that the chancellor described where they were going to have uh, participation within the campus community about defining that project and trying to find you know, a way to have it fit better with the community and, and, and ask some threshold questions too about its design. And um, that was originally scheduled to conclude, you know, early in the summer. And um, as far as I know, as of last week, it had still not concluded. And um, certainly there has been no public announcement of it. Um, so as far as we know, nothing concrete is known about the university's plan to meet its obligation to provide the housing that they promised 12 years ago. Well, I've been told by someone authoritatively that the L, the uh, EIR for Munger will be made public in by the end of September. Have you heard the same point? Well, I've, I've heard many, many, many different dates for that. And that's part of the problem is that every time one of the dates is announced or, or described, you know, something happens and it's delayed. And so, you know, I don't, I won't believe it until I see it. And um, we don't know anything more. The, technically, we have not filed the lawsuit that we're going to file because we have a tolling agreement with the university, which is a, an agreement to pause litigation while negotiations are going on. And that tolling agreement um, extends a little bit longer into September, about another 10 days or so. And so we will, we will 
abide by that delay in filing the suit that we had previously agreed to, but we'll be filing the lawsuit immediately upon the expiration of that tolling agreement. And um, that that doesn't mean that negotiations and, and settlement agreements can't continue, and I expect that they will. Um, hopefully, perhaps this the filing of the suit will um, add some increased pressure on the university to be forthcoming with the public and come forward with a plan that um, can be supported that will solve this problem. So the um, original LRDP provided for a dormitory development for 5,000 students on scattered sites. It was a very different design from Munger. Uh, and um, uh, those were put aside once the Munger offer came to, came to the university. The offer, a very large gift of supposedly $200 million uh, plus, uh, but the contingency was that he would be the designer of this entire project. And um, uh, that, in a way, may have made some people on campus in the administration happy. He was saying, I'm taking this over. I'm going to do it. Uh, I'll help I'll help get the final financing for it. All of these things sounded good. And all 5,000 students, or so 4,500, will be accommodated in this world's largest dormitory um, in, in world history. Um, and uh, um, uh, the reason I'm mentioning this is because if the EIR is public, it's got, won't it have to include alternatives to the project? Um, isn't that part of what an EIR uh, typically does? Yes. And, um, you know, I, I just think looking back in time and having had a previous plan that was approved environmentally, that had permits, that was a consensus document between the university and the community, that provided those housing sites and traditional structures in a decentralized way on the campus, you know, I, I keep looking back at that and saying, why, why didn't we do that? Why didn't the university simply build what it had intended to build 12 years ago and do it? And why hadn't that happened on a timetable that was aligned with the increased enrollment? That, that is the most important part of that agreement was for the first time to recognize that these things needed to occur in parallel. As students were coming on campus and as the faculty and staff were being hired to serve those students, the housing was going to be constructed so that there wouldn't be the housing impacts that we're feeling in the community. And that that was so visionary and so exciting from the community standpoint that all the local governments and all the community organizations that historically have been, you know, embattled a little bit with with the university and previous expansions, um, that was the solution. And to, to find ourselves here now with the promise of a dorm that has never been constructed anywhere on this scale, you know, that is, I think it it's clearly controversial. There's many, many people who don't think it's a good idea to build such a large building in one place with no windows. Um, I understand that, you know, the, the offer of a very large donation from a private philanthropist is an attractive element in the financing of this project. But, um, you know, I'm, I don't think this is the right way to do um, 
public infrastructure. I think that we should be building it, you know, to meet the needs of current and future students in a traditional way with traditional architecture. And um, I, I, for the life of me, don't understand why we're, we find ourselves in this place 12 years later when there was a plan to do it that everybody agreed to at the beginning. Well, the, since you're going, we hope, to the legislature, uh, it, it, the legislature has a responsibility here too, which I think, um, I'm, I believe they're waking up to, uh, the legislature wanted the UC system to increase its uh, enrollment more rapidly than had been planned. That's what's happened. But they haven't provided funding for uh, housing, certainly not. Um, and for many years, that's been you know privatized for many years uh, uh, in, in the state. Now, I believe the legislature's established a uh, large and potentially growing revolving fund to support housing and higher education. That's after, I think, half a century of not doing it. So that's a breakthrough. But it also, that's maybe a point that there are alternatives to, to Munger's financing now coming into view if that's if the state government is willing to uh, make that kind of investment. Um, and that's what I think the EIR will open up maybe. I'm, I'm just suggesting this. Uh, a new opportunity for more um, more of this kind of uh, open discussion of what really should be done. The the uh, you were you probably were there or, or saw what the environmental studies students designed and it was based on the original uh, plan uh, and and it was a, seemed like an extremely feasible design to actually create more dormitory space than Munger would have. That's what the the students had, had designed. Well, that's got to be foregrounded as a, as an alternative, I would think. Don't you? I mean, yeah, I would hope so. I think that, you know, it, it's an obvious alternative because it, it was the consensus solution um, at the beginning of this process. So I would I would hope it would have um, a, a very careful review in the context of this new proposal. And, and you're exactly right, Dick, that, you know, the circumstances and the financial realities of building dorms that are affordable to students is a serious and complicated matter. And it is, it isn't, um, I'm not suggesting that it's easy to do that and that it's cheap. It is expensive and it's difficult. And as you said, you know, many universities around the country have essentially privatized that function and have, you know, offered land to developers who build the housing and then charge the students and amortize those costs over time and have a profit. And, um, you know, that model has its pluses and minuses. And this model that apparently is being pursued um, by the university to have a private philanthropist, you know, down un underwrite a significant portion of the cost will potentially lower the cost for students. And that's a that's a plus. But, um, you know, the delay that has occurred as this conversation has evolved with this philanthropist, it comes at a very, very significant cost to students for the price of their housing. And we're not going to get that back. And that's cooked into the rental market, not just for students, but for all the South Coast residents. So, you know, we're, we're paying now an enormous premium for the delay. And I don't think that's you know, been factored into the calculus of the advantage of having this donation. Um, going forward, 
I would imagine, you know, there's going to be significant pressure on the university to expand again in the future. There are more students who need um, access to high quality University of California education that um, UCSB and other campuses provide. So this is an ongoing challenge and, and, and the hope and promise and um, the celebration that we all felt 10, 12 years ago is not going to be the case moving forward. I think that we're all more sanguine and understand that, you know, an agreement is is only as good as the willingness of the parties to adhere to it. And I think the university is going to have a much more difficult time next time it, it needs to expand enrollment um, and try to get the permits and the agreements from local governments. And that's, that's unfortunate because the university is an incredibly important asset to our regional economy, to the quality of life of all the residents in the South Coast. And, and we want the university to be successful and we want the housing to be built and we want it to be done, you know, in a way that makes sense. And so, you know, that's why, again, reluctantly, we came to the conclusion that, you know, despite our negotiations and our conversations, we weren't making progress and we needed to, to bring this matter to court. So there's a second project called Ocean Road, which is the faculty staff first step in, in the promised uh, faculty staff housing that, that uh, was originally planned. And Ocean Road, in its, if it were fulfilled, would have 540 units. So that's a very substantial housing project in itself. It's only, it's less than a third of what the university originally said it would be developing for faculty and staff, but it would be a start. And that, that was approved by the regents, but, um, the Sun Coalition, which I uh, happen to be chair of, you know, uh, communicated to the regents a concern about that, uh, which is that the cost of the housing for the faculty and staff needs to be affordable uh, if if this is to work. Um, and um, the, the regents, uh, I think, when they considered approving the project, are, are saying, yes, they're going to be concerned about affordability. Uh, I don't know how much you've monitored that particular thing that would have Ocean Road is is the street between UCSB and IV. The development of this project, which includes uh, a retail uh, store uh, on the ground floor, it's a kind of activity as well as um, as as well as the housing and its rental housing and ownership housing uh, that would have a big effect on Isla Vista's future, of course. Uh, once this is built, um, and but it's a two-phase project. So here's the problems. One is the affordability issue. My understanding is that it's also being built by a private developer, and so the university is saying the uh, price of uh, of the housing will be 10% below market, and the rental prices will be 10% below rental a rental market. Well, the market is inflated already, and so those prices are very worrisome. Uh, and that's what I think the regions um, was implying uh, that that um, ten percent may not be the right the right um, level of uh, below market affordability. And that's some, I, I wanted to. I don't know if one of my uh, interesting thoughts about the staff aspect of Ocean Road is that. The rental units, which probably would be particularly of value to staff members, could first be of interest to, let's call them first responder staff, uh, 
people who have to be uh, on campus in, in the event of catastrophes, but who in many cases, maybe most cases, they're commuting on Highway 101 30 miles. So they, they literally can't be here when the crisis of that kind occurs. Well, it would be great to have uh, staff like that living on campus. But if the prices, uh, the rental prices are too high, that may not be feasible. I don't know if you've thought about any of this or looked into it. Um, now you raised some really important points, and this this is sort of the push pull of the two competing visions. Uh, you know, I celebrate and I'm, and I'm really glad to hear the news that the university is going forward with the the Ocean Road Development Project. That is progress, right. uh, but as you said, it is the traditional um, developer design build rent uh, model that could have been used for the student housing that we exactly like we're talking about. So in this instance, the university is using that tool to provide this housing. And the other, in the other example, um, you know, they have chosen not to do that for the student housing. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know why one was okay in one instance, but it wasn't okay for the larger um, faculty or the, la the larger uh, student housing projects that were needed with the traditional dorm construction. Um, but you're right that those models require um, an income stream to pay the private developer to get to provide a profit for that developer. And the prices are oftentimes, you know, market or slightly below market. And that's, you know, part of the problem is that our market's been inflated by the fact that we haven't had these units constructed. So there are no easy answers to this. The, the solution is a combination of, you know, public financing through the state legislature provided to the UC campuses. And it is good that finally the, the, the state legislature is recognizing that requirement. You can't just put the, the students in the, on the campuses and expect the, the campuses to, to be able to finance that. Unfortunately, you know, my understanding is the university doesn't have a shell ready project to compete for those state funds. So once again, we're behind uh, the curve because we're doing this different new thing that is untested and untried and unproven. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's the risk is that we potentially go down this path and at the end of it, don't succeed in providing the units that we need. And that's that's another reason why the university um, or the, the county has initiated this lawsuit is that we're concerned that this um, this paper exercise of the Munger plan um, isn't going to result in approvals. There are, you know, the, the regions have to approve of this plan. The IR has to be, you know, reviewed and, and vetted in, in the public uh, eye. And the California Coastal Commission has to agree to this plan. And, and th those are not certainties at any one of those steps. So there's a lot of risk going forward and delays um, ca are causing more time and more impact on the local housing market. Um, so, you know, the, the contrast between building what was promised on the sites that were identified and approved versus this speculative approach that doesn't necessarily have a successful conclusion, you know, it, it is just a huge contrast in my mind. And I don't understand why we, why we are where we are now. So before we go, uh, th there is a statement that UCSB has made in response to the uh, county uh, lawsuit. UC Santa Barbara has been involved in extensive good faith discussions with the county over student housing since experiencing significant and unanticipated undergraduate enrollment increases several years ago at the behest of the state of California. 
The university and the county have shared a goal of providing more on-campus housing for our students. The university remains committed to building more affordable on-campus housing for our students in addition to the recently completed projects that created an additional 1,500 student housing beds. We look forward to continuing our discussions with the county and are hopeful that any lawsuit does not result in needless and expensive litigation instead of ongoing collaboration. And that came from Kiki Reyes, media relations manager at UC Santa Barbara. Maybe they'll have more to say after, uh, after a while. Well, we kind of run out of time, unfortunately, because we could keep going on and on because there's so many facets to, to this uh, discussion. Maybe we've opened the door to more, more discussion about this that can happen in the future. Greg Hart, so grateful that you could uh, join us here on Inside Isla Vista today. And Lisa Osborne is our intrepid producer. Uh, thanks to you listeners for tuning in. And if you've got any comments, we'd love to hear from you as well and questions. Thank you, Greg. Good luck uh, in 60 days um, with your uh, further adventures on the political path. Thank, Thank you, you, Dick and Lisa. It's always a pleasure to be with you and you guys have a great day. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye.